Welcome to El Desvío, many roads, one destination. Encountering challenges, making decisions, confronting struggles, and better understanding the reasons for polarizing positions are but a part of being engaged in our nation's ability to discuss and advance towards a more inclusive and fair society. However, there is no set formula to achieve these objectives. This video presents listeners with 30 minutes of thought-provoking discussions on relevant issues we face as a nation. Welcome, everybody, to our new episode of El Desvío, Many Roads, One Destination. We are your hosts, Jose Valgas and Andrea Arenas, and today we have an impressive list of guest speakers on our show. But before we introduce them and get into the bones of this actual episode, I want you to listen to this audio published by Times Magazine on September 5th of 2017. It's chilling to listen to because Trump actually laid out one of the cornerstones of his presidency. Let's take a listen. I will immediately terminate President Obama's illegal executive order on immigration. Immediately. We will immediately terminate President Obama's two illegal executive amnesties in which he defied federal law and the Constitution to give amnesty to approximately five million illegal immigrants. Five million. Bueno, mi gente. Let's not even talk about the fact that he couldn't even say amnesty correctly. The words spoken by Trump three years ago have impacted the lives of more than 800,000 dreamers who came to this nation as children. For the past 10 years, the Obama Ever Program, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, has played a critical role in helping these young Americans go to school, get better paying jobs, purchase homes, cars, and just be part of our nation's society. So let's jump into this discussion. Chilling audio, Jose. And telling of what the nation has witnessed for the past four years regarding immigration policy and to talk more about DACA and how it has impacted thousands of lives where it currently stands and what could be its future we are joined today by all the way from California DACA recipient and former LACLA intern Natalie Vargas from Texas Karen Reyes also a dreamer and a member of the American Federation of Teachers we're also joined by Shannon Letterer, Director of Immigration Policy at the AFL-CIO, and last but certainly not least, um, New York State Attorney General Letitia James. Thank you all for joining us today. Natalie, tell us how DACA impacted your life. Can you remember the day when President Obama signed DACA and how you felt? So when... DACA was first uh, signed by former President Obama. I was too young to know what it was or that I was even going to be protected by it. It was until I reached high school that I realized that I didn't have a social security number, that I wasn't going to be able to go to school and kind of be a member of society. And so I started looking into ways that I can go to school and 
what first came up was DACA. And at first I was very scared of what this was because you have to send in like all your information to the government, everything where you live, where you go to school, where you've been, you know, the 18 years, I was 18 at the time. So 18 years of your life. And in return, they would give you a protection to say you're not going to get deported. You get a temporary social security number so you can work and you can also go to school. So it was kind of just like when I got DACA, it was like the sky was the limit. I could do anything. I felt so empowered. And when that happened, I, you know, went to college and I started helping others with filling out their own DACA applications or people that couldn't apply for DACA, but they were just undocumented and how to help them get into school. Um, here in California, you don't need to have, uh, you know, a documented status to go to community college or to go to university. There's a lot of protections. So helping other people, even if it was just my friends, uh, people in community college and my local church and just helping them and saying like, hey guys, like this isn't the end. Like we can do something. You know, it doesn't matter if you're undocumented. Like that shouldn't stop us. But I do believe that there's so much work that needs to be done for our community. I feel like DACA is kind of used, you know, to say like, look, like we're giving undocumented immigrants like these permission to be here and that's it. But that's not the case. You know, we want a permanent fix. Uh, DACA is just a temporary Band-Aid and we want a permanent pathway to citizenship. I came here at the age of three to four years old and this has been where I've lived, where I grew up, where I speak the language perfectly, and where I've created my life and even got married. So I feel like putting a Band-Aid on it is not going to work anymore. We need a permanent solution. And also not just for DACA, but other people that are undocumented and working. And I definitely believe that there needs to be an amnesty for all immigrant workers and documented immigrants at this moment. And the fact of the matter is that there are over 200,000 U.S.-born children who have at least one parent who is a dreamer. Garin, please jump in and tell us your story with DACA. As I mentioned before, you are a proud union member. Um, what role has your union played in your story as a dreamer? So I'm going to try to be brief on my DACA story um, because, you know, you got a Latina in front of a microphone and we're going to talk for hours. Um, but my story with DACA starts in 2012. And I remember the day that DACA was announced very clearly. Um, I was driving home from picking up a textbook or something and my mom calls me and she's like, estas manejando? I'm like, yes, mom. She's like, pull over right now. So of course I listened and I pulled over in a Taco Cabana parking lot. And my mom said, President Obama just announced DACA. This is what it means. I already got a lawyer. And, you know, there we are, both of us crying on the phone because it was just immense relief, you know, for the longest time, my mom had always said, yo me encargo del dinero, tu te encargas de tu escuela. Like, that was my job. Go to school, get an education, get a job. But once I had graduated from college, there was no getting a job in the field that I, you know, studied. Um, I had seen the DREAM Act fail two years prior um, and I was just saying something's got to change. And 
2012, DACA was announced thanks to all the immigrant youth who put their bodies on the line to fight for this. And I always said DACA came at the perfect time. So um, uh, one of the things that I always laugh about is um, I always criticize my mom for hoarding things like papeles. And, um, you know, I'm pretty sure my original, you know, DACA application, it was probably the thickest that was turned in because she literally had the report cards from like every single nine weeks since I was a child doctor's notes you know certificates of whatever like she had it all and I was and I was always like and she'd always be like and so she kept everything and um yeah I mean I turned in my application by December 2012 I um had everything I had my um my work permit my social security card um, I went and got my driver's license. So I took the test at 24 and I had my driver's license. And then I was like, mm, I'm going to get myself a Texas ID card too. And the guy there was like, you don't need one. You have a driver's license. And I said, yes, but I can get one. And I want one because, you know, for the longest time I didn't have like, you know, state ID card. So now that I could get one, I was like, I'm going to get both things. Why not? Um, so yeah, I had everything by December, 2012. And like I said, I have always said that DACA came at the perfect time because in, um, January, 2013, they found some abnormal cells in my mom's breast. And, you know, she's a 60 year old woman who, um, cleans houses for a living and it's very strenuous work on a body. It's hard. And there was an invasive biopsy surgery. Um, so she wasn't going to be able to work for a few months, but I finally had a work permit so I could go to school and substitute teach and, you know, take care of our family. And yeah, I mean, it was, like I said, it was a relief. Um, fast forward a few years. I, I teach kids who are deaf and hard of hearing and I love what I do. Um, and my fight to protect DACA really began with my union. So I'm an Education Austin member. I'm a proud union member, proud teacher. And I'm proud to say that I'm undocumented, unafraid, and unapologetic. And the first time I said those words was because of my union. Um, knowing that my union had my back is a powerful feeling. And... Um, you know, dear friend, mentor, Mozart Garibay, um, she kind of took me in and was saying, hey, there's other teachers, you know, there's other educators here who have DACA, like, let's get together, you know, um, inv started inviting me to events and things like that, and just started really working in order to fight um, to protect DACA, but not only that, but to, you know, fight for a pathway towards citizenship to fight de against deportations. And I've worked alongside, you know, with my union to give students and their families and our communities the tools that they need, the resources they need in order to be protected. And, um, you know, I've done some good work with them, but our community is amazing and resilient. And, um, you know, they do so much good for each other. You know, we take care of each other. And, I just, I've been trying to do what I can because, you know, 
I have DACA, I'm a teacher, and if I'm scared for myself and for my family, I know that my students and their families are terrified. So anything I can do to help, I will do. And that includes when my union um, gave me a call and was like, hey, we're um, thinking of pursuing, you know, legal action against the Trump administration for rescinding DACA. Do you want to be a part of this? And um, sorry to say, mom, but I was like, yes. Um, yeah. And so I was part of um, the case that went to the Supreme Court along with the American Federation of Teachers. And um, yeah, so that's my story with DACA and, you know, what I do to protect it is just doing anything I can, um, hopefully, you know, making a difference along the way. That's amazing and a true statement of what unions mean, working as a collective to achieve justice. It also shows the position that unions have on this topic, protecting and defending dreamers. On the topic of making a difference, I'd like to fast forward to November 14, 2020, when New York State Attorney General Letitia James ruled that Chad Wolf was not lawfully serving as acting secretary of the Department of Homeland Security when he signed rules that limited the number of applicants and renewals for DACA. This invalidated his suspension of the program. Across the nation, dreamers, immigration and social justice advocates celebrated this ruling. Attorney General, you played a critical role in this outcome. First of all, congratulations. And on behalf of so many folks, Thank you. And secondly, can you share with us how you accomplished this? The federal government's claim that the DACA program was illegal was not a sound argument, and it relied a lot on, unfortunately, inaccurate assumptions. And um, this administration often confused DACA with the DAPA program, the Deferred Action for Parents of Americans. and. Um, they were inaccurate in terms of their comparison and their um, assumptions. And so the federal government made many assumptions that do not apply in this instance and misstated features of the um, Fifth Circuit's ruling on DAPA. Um, uh, for example, they claimed that DACA was a blanket um, uh, a blanket form, a blanket um, um, eligibility form, when in fact it really is that it's based on a case, it's based on uh, a case-by-case -case review. Um, and the Fifth Circuit uh, found that DAPA has legal defects, um, but it never determined that DAPA was unconstitutional. And so the federal government applied that ruling to DACA, but unfortunately they were um, wrong. Whoa, that, that is really something. I mean, finding that specific detail in the claims made by this administration is, I mean, I'm short of words, but heroic um, comes to mind because I mean, that detail will impact so many lives. That's amazing. Shannon, um, what does this ruling mean? This ruling makes it even more clear that DHS should resume the DACA program as introduced in 2012 and begin to process new applications as well as full two-year renewals. 
Having defeated Trump, we should all now assume and demand that the incoming Biden administration will take immediate steps to reverse the toxic anti-immigrant, anti-worker agenda and to restore the protections DREAMers and TPS holders need and deserve on day one. That is amazing, Shannon. So just a follow-up question. Is this a slap in the face for the Trump administration? From the beginning, the Trump administration has demonstrated a blatant disregard for basic democratic norms and processes, even laws. Um, And so fortunately, we have been able to use that ineptitude and demonstrated malice uh, to blunt some of the cruelest uh, and most discriminatory aspects of their agenda through the courts. So yes, I would say it is uh, a slap in the face. It's yet another in a series of slaps on the face as policy after policy hostile to immigrants and workers um, have been halted uh, or struck down uh, on, uh, on legal grounds. Let's take it back to our dreamers here, Natalie and Karen. What was your reaction to this ruling, especially taking into account the past four years of living in constant uncertainty Yeah, so with DACA and all the news on it, it's kind of been a roller coaster. I think that ever since Trump got elected, I feel like any news regarding DACA and Dreamers is always something trying to end the program, something happening. Um, and as a DACA recipient, like I don't like to get my hopes up too much and always be cautious because every day something is updated or new regarding uh, DACA. So when I did see, though, that um, our permits were going to be less time, that they were being threatened, that they weren't allowing new applications, I was worried. But I'm so glad that they ruled that that wasn't going to be the case. And I was really hopeful of what the future was holding for the new president-elect Joe Biden and his plan for DACA and Dreamers. So this has been a rocky uh, administration for us Dreamers because it always feels like something is just coming to attack us and get us. And so it was a little bit of a fresh air and breathing when we heard about Joe Biden and his plans uh, for DACA and Dreamers. And hopefully he keeps to his promises to find a pathway to citizenship for us. So before I answer the question, I just want to make sure everyone knows that I'm not a lawyer, nor do I play one on TV. And no matter how many legal dramas I watch, I don't always understand the legal jargon. Um, but the first time I saw the news on this latest DACA ruling was actually on Twitter because I'm all about it, Twitter. And it was either from Luis Cortez Romero or from Karen Tumlin, who are both amazing lawyers. And Luis is actually a DACA recipient himself. And I got to meet both of them when I went to D.C. for the Supreme Court case last year. And, you know, as we know, law and especially immigration law are very complex. And unless you have a law degree, it's sometimes hard to read the rulings and understand what they mean for the individual or the impacted community. So I rely on, you know, lawyers that, um, that I know or lawyers on Twitter or Facebook that I trust to read it, summarize 
and give me the Cliff Notes version and put, put it into words that I can understand because um, it is hard to really weed out what it means. Um, and as I was reading it, my initial reaction was to sigh and just be like, yes, another win because we had just won the Supreme Court case in June. And my second thought immediately was like, oh, yeah, basta. <laughs> like, let us live. Dejanos vivir. Because as the Supreme Court, you know, said that the Trump administration's decision to rescind DACA was arbitrary and capricious. So I'm just thinking, you know, san caprichosos, dejanos vivir. Like, just let us live. Let us live without fear of deportation. Let us just continue living our lives. Um and I just kept thinking that while I was reading um, the summary of this, of the decision, because, you know, we won the Supreme Court case. And then this memo came out by the acting director of Homeland Security that basically said, we're going to roll back DACA, you know, work permits from two years to one year. There's going to be no new DACA applications and still no advanced parole which is pretty much the opposite of what the Supreme Court had ruled. And, you know, for me, actions speak louder than words. And what we've seen consistently throughout these past few years is that the administration, it keeps saying, we love DACA recipient, we love the dreamers, we're going to do something for the DACA kids. But their actions say the opposite. You know, we have the anti-immigrant rhetoric that we keep hearing and then anti-immigrant policies that keep coming out and rescinding DACA and then this latest thing, which pretty much ignores what the Supreme Court said. So my understanding of, of this decision is that because the acting director of Homeland Security was not legally appointed to his position, I guess, that it invalidates the memo. So... Yeah, I'm happy. It's definitely a win. Um, but I know that our work is not done and I am ready to get back out there and see what we can do with this next administration coming in. And that's a perfect question for Attorney General James. If this administration's move was illegal, what happens next? So the courts found that this administration's um, uh, decision um, to move forward is unlawful and we were successful in our litigation and the DACA program will continue as is and we are confident that the Biden-Harris administration will uphold the law um, and move forward um, to provide relief to not only DACA recipients but hopefully to all immigrants who are living in the shadow. Attorney General, what do dreamers need to know or to be aware of as a result of, the, of this ruling? And will their status be impacted or interrupted at any point? The recent decision that came down from the federal government ruled yet again uh, against um, the Trump administration to derail this program to find that it is illegal and unconstitutional, but unfortunately they were stopped in their tracks. The Supreme Court has already ruled that the Supreme, uh, that the president's attempts to unfairly punish dreamers was unlawful, 
but now another federal court has ruled that this administration's attempts to circumvent the courts in an effort to target and punish um, innocent young people who simply are seeking economic opportunity and freedom in this country. Um, they decided that again, this administration's actions were unlawful. Time and time again, this uh, Trump administration has attempted to use not only young, young immigrants, but all immigrants as political scapegoats. Um, America is where these young people have gone to school. It's where they have worked, where they have paid taxes, where they have raised family, and where they have continued to be vital members of our community. Um, and our coalition will not hesitate to use every tool at our disposal to protect these young people in every way possible. It's also important to know that again, immigration is um, really, really key um, to what makes America um, an exceptional place um, and uh, that immigrants contribute greatly to our economy um, and individuals should continue to apply um, for relief under DACA as normal and follow up on any ongoing applications to keep up with the process. Shannon, what do you think a best case scenario for DREAMers looks like, as well as the worst case scenario? The best case scenario for DREAMers and TPS holders in our entire country um, would be a clear legislative victory without compromises that helps jumpstart protections for other family members uh, and coworkers and community members. Uh, that's the goal that we're all working towards, right? We use one win to propel the next and fight by fight, we're gonna bring justice uh, to everybody, to our entire workforce um, and to our immigration system. Uh, and, and we're gonna get there, but it's gonna take some time. Uh, and I think, you know, the worst case scenario really is status quo. It's continued inaction from Congress you know, combined with a likely elevated obstruction in the courts. This, um, unfortunately, is the reality that we've lived with for decades, with enforcement-only approaches to immigration that have created a, a near-permanent subclass of millions of workers without rights. But I have seen such impressive organizing from DREAMers and TPS holders through their unions and other organizations. And, um, you know, we're in this for the long haul, one day longer, one day stronger, right? Um, and so my money is on our team any day of the week. And our dreamers, do you have a message for fellow DACA recipients? A message I want to say to my fellow dreamers is don't give up that I know it can be difficult at times to feel like you formed a whole life in this country and are fighting for rights but it's not given to you because you don't have a piece of paper that says that you are quote unquote legal. But I think that the message is to keep fighting, to, you know, unite with other fellow dreamers, to be in the Latinx community and the importance of just keep fighting for our rights and the rights of those that are underrepresented right now. And as we come to this change of government and with the new president elect, I believe that we need to hold those people in power accountable and that the fight isn't over for us, that every day we are asking Congress, we're asking the president that there needs to be fixed for all the undocumented workers in this country and for all of the dreamers in this country as well. What about you, Karen? 
what would be your message? I don't think her fight is over just yet. And it's not just about DACA. You know, DACA was won through immigrant youth putting their bodies on the line and really fighting for it. And in these last few years, we've seen immigrant youth on the front lines again, um, fighting to protect DACA. And, oh, it's it's also included some of us, que ya no estamos tan jovencitos. You know, we've been there too. Um, but it, it just fills me with so much um, hope for the future because, you know, I've seen what we can accomplish when we come together. And like I said, it's not just about DACA. Um, it's about our TPS community and it's about our refugee community. It's about our undocumented community as a whole. So DACA to me is the floor. It's the minimum. I want an immigration reform. I want a pathway towards citizenship and not just for DACA recipients. I want protections for, you know, our parents and our tíos, our tías, our abuelos, our families, our communities. And even though, like I said, there's a lot of work to be done, I'm just so filled with hope because just like in labor, it's about solidarity. And when we come together, great things can happen and we have power. And, you know, we have a new administration coming in. Vamos a ver qué pasa. Um, but I know that DACA has been said to be one of the first things on the agenda to restore DACA. And I think that's great, but I'm thinking let's, let's work for more. Let's work to protect all the people in our community. So, um, I want an immigration reform. I want a pathway towards citizenship. I'm ready to work on that. I'm ready to fight for that. So yeah, what's next? Um, let's work on on getting an immigration reform. Let's work. Let's work together on this. Bueno, Andrea, hemos llegado al punto de nuestra moraleja. But before we jump into that, I want to thank our guest speakers today. New York State Attorney General Letitia James, Shannon Leader, Director of Immigration Policy at the AFL-CIO, and our two dreamers, Natalie Vargas and Karen Reyes. Thank you for sharing your stories with us. Y ahora, nuestra moraleja. What is our takeaway from this episode? And for me, it's twofold. First, like New York State Attorney General Letitia James has shown us through her actions, we cannot cower to any bully. We must always stand in defense of those who can't. This has always been the cornerstone of labor, and we must defend those who need our help. Secondly, when people come together, they make a difference. This was demonstrated in this last election. So I hope that this administration can and will reinstate a sense of common civility for all the people of this nation. Y Jose, también we have to recognize que nuestra lucha, our fight is not over, whether it's DACA, workers' justice, or immigration, just to name a few, we need to work together for our common good. And I have to agree with what our speakers said. There is a sense of hope, and I believe that much of it comes from the fact that our communities, Latino and immigrant, Black, Asian Americans, among others, came together on November to push for change. So if we stay in the mode todos con vaca, I'm sure that soon enough we will be able to say si se pudo. 
That's it for now. Be sure to follow us at Lakla. That is L C L A A on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and visit our website www.lakla.org. Lakla's El Desvío podcast is a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, the voice of working people. To learn more about issues that affect workers, visit laborradionetwork.org. Thank you, and hasta el próximo episodio. Thank you.